Alrighty, Pints and Popcorn podcast coming up for you. Uh, this week we're doing Taika Waititi's uh, 2019 uh, wonderful film, Jojo Rabbit. Uh, just the usual warning at the front end of the pod that there's, we are obviously talking about all details of the film of Jojo Rabbit. So we uh, warn you that if you haven't seen it and you don't want it spoiled, you should probably pause this, come back to it afterwards, but pause it now and uh, go watch Jojo Rabbit. It is wonderful and well worth your time. Uh, but if you have seen Jojo Rabbit and you're looking forward to the chat, then let's get right into it. Here's Master Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, <laughs> ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. comes to. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. <laughs> Yeah! You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hi, Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. You know what I am? Say A Jew. Gesundheit. Sheesh, that was intense. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it! I've negotiated. Burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. If I tell on you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. You two seem to be getting on well. She doesn't seem like a bad person. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. God. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. Alrighty, Pints and Popcorn podcast. Back with you and the weekly as usual. Shay on the line as per usual as well. Yep. Here's a no little pint bit more. or popcorn. <laughs> Usually pints for me, no popcorn. Now it's no both. This yeah. Week. <laughs> Dry May, isn't it? Dry May. Yeah. Yes, unlike the weather, it's very dry. But and I think for the future I'm gonna try to link up the booze that I'm I drink on the pod with that so it represents the movie we did and the movie we're doing this week. I don't know if there's any booze that really syncs up with it. <laughs> I was gonna say like um the one that I thought about doing but I didn't because I just wanted to have a couple of beers instead. Uh, there is when um, I should just say mention that we the movie we're doing this week is Jojo Rabbit, um, the 2019 right. Takeaway TD movie. <laughs> uh, we'll get into it in a sec. But the the one drink that does work is um, during the dinner scene when ScarJo's drinking the wine and she's like, "I'm just going to chew on my grapes," and she does chew that on really, some yeah, she does that really, you know, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I did that last week on the pod. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> you need to. <laughs> you need to hear that then then do it an entire but, bottle uh, of, entire bottle of grapes was chewed 
Yeah, after some IPAs, I was not my finest hour, but at least it wasn't as bad as the Rushmore pod. (laughs) Well, the Rushmore pod was um, a classic, like the film. (laughs) That led to dry May, so. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Um, yeah, wine probably would have been the only the only choice for this for this one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Other than maybe like a like a. I don't know a German beer of some like Erdinger or yeah. something. Like, yeah, but, yeah, one of those. But then that feels weird. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. I I when I was in Germany, I, the the Erdinger bottles like the traditional like the flip cap tops, and walking down the street just popping the top off of one of those like old school yeah. style and just because in Germany that you can just drink. Oh, it's great beer. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to drink it to like celebrate Germany in the context of this movie because it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it's not ideal. Yeah, okay, yeah, and that's like getting into the film. It's like um, Jojo Rabbit was a divisive film of last year. Um, not everyone, everyone. It's a movie that everyone has understood in their own way, I guess. Um, it certainly had, obviously, its thesis about um, love over hate and peace and and fighting for peace um, as as an important part of society but it's um like you not being sure whether a german beer was right or wrong it's a movie that made people question you know you said off air uh feeling not feeling right about laughing at something and uh, things in the film and and whatnot and it's it's a it's um one that i was really excited to do this week because it does give us a chance to really talk about satire because it is an art form that is very hard to do right and it's a um Straight off the bat, I'll say I think this film, Jojo Rabbit, did it really, really well. But it's certainly um, like any satire that is satirizing something as serious as um, Nazi Germany and, and particularly the end, the life at the end of Nazi Germany, which is a, something that's a, a very misunderstood by a lot of people that have a very basic understanding of, and I don't mean basic understanding in a negative way, I just mean people that just haven't read about World War II too much beyond the, um, the big flashpoints is life at the end of Nazi Germany was quite rough. And uh, this movie did a really uh, interesting job of showing kind of what it was like in a satirical way, but also showing it through the eyes of a a 10-year-old boy, the protagonist being um, the character of Jojo Betzler uh, slash Jojo Jojo (laughs) Rabbit. Um, Yeah, straight straight off the bat, I think it does. This movie is wonderful. And I think I remember texting you after I saw it the first time saying, "I, I went into it not exactly sure what to expect. And I came out of it thinking i've just seen one of the one of the my favorite and most surprising films in the in recent years as far as what my what what i was expecting versus what i got out of it was incredibly rewarding yeah i think i had it as either third or fourth on my out of the nine that were up for the best picture this year and it Mm -hmm. did win adapted screenplay which is it almost seems like an original screenplay when you read a little bit about what Caging the Skies, the book it was based on, is basically yeah. about. Um, you know, it if you're gonna go that route and say that it's based off that book, you could say it's based off of um, the Diary of Anne Frank as well, because like basically all it really seems is that it's based off is the relationship between Jojo and the captive in his yeah. in his, uh, which I guess is a central part of the book and this movie, so. In that sense, I that's think, true. Yeah, I think I think the theme from what I gathered from it is a theme the theme of learning through that relationship that um, happened throughout the film was very central to the book too. Obviously, the way it was presented, um, satire versus the book being a more serious 
uh, interpretation of that kind of situation. But yeah, I think I I think I know Taika Waititi has talked about the, the book being the the thing that inspired this film. So in that sense, you know, adapted screenplay is something that is argued at times because um, every time they adapt the Joker, um, <laughs> it's it, uh, it's it's really just taking the character's inspiration and going from there. But um, yeah, original screenplay means it's just you know completely original. So yeah, although so when they say is there ever original screenplay is sometimes <laughs> loose uh, loose uh, yeah in the sense of what series talking again um, <laughs> happens every podcast. well yeah because like Tarantino got was up for original screenplay but that was based on a real life story but yeah. like so it yeah. is you know and there's been books about the Sharon Tate murders and stuff like that I'm sure you read them beforehand too mm. um, but yeah so it definitely is a different take on that book though from yeah. what I understand of uh, I haven't read it um, and I don't want to say anything to you I know what happens in it after doing some research but I, don't, I know you're going to read it so I don't want to spoil anything for you but uh, there's definitely different roads the uh, two art forms go down and Taika definitely always one to make people laugh, you know, obviously took a humorous, um, and kind of, I don't know. I wouldn't call it positive, but, um, turned it into a movie about growth or a a story about growth and, um, overcoming obstacles, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. You can say it's both positive in the sense that I think it ends with a hopeful, note that i mean you know the end of the film and we're jumping ahead but just briefly it is such a it's hopeful but also every time i watch the end i'm like driven to tears i I have watched it a few times now and i haven't been able to stop that yet so um but i think yeah i've been using bowie um in german is a really nice touch to close it and i'm sure we'll talk about that later yeah but uh if we want to get into it he starts um taika starts off the movie with a german beatles track of I want to hold your hand, which is, you know, we were texting about it. I believe a great choice mm-hmm. to uh, to set the tone of the young Nazi boy who's in love with life and his fear and everything of that nature. Yeah, I mean, you had a really you you brought up a really interesting point that it is like it's the German version of I want to hold your hand, and you were kind of saying uh, through text when you were watching it how it's um very much you know Hitler's wanting to hold the hand of all the German youth to you know brainwash them um for lack of a better term and and bring them into the into this thousand year reich uh ideology um that they they were moving towards you know brain like um indoctrinating the next generation as well as the generation that was fighting the war into being part of this this uh ideology that was um that jojo was very much believing in as as the 10 year old kid at the start of this film and the the song title like I I um, was texting you about how it made me reminded me of like obviously the song and then the way they showed the images of triumph of the will in the at the start of the film overlaid with the music yeah. it was very much uh, reminiscent of Beatlemania which was another thing I think they were going for in like showing how how crazy how crazy this um, the feverish Nazism was from the gu- from the people in particular that really believed in this and how they how so so easily susceptible you could be to something like this because Beatlemania was like it was crazy back in the 60s when the Beatles were the biggest thing in the world and yeah I, sent, I, sent I don't know video. if it holds a candle to what Nazism no uh, Nazi Germany <laughs> was like to its citizens because the citizens also wanted to hold the hand of you know Nazism didn't they yeah you know they it was um you know they were 
they were seeking something and they found it in that. So that's why that track is just so like, it just really speaks to early wartime Germany when everybody was so into what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the background of the, what we don't want it to be turned into a history podcast, but Germany was, it will, yeah. it will turn into, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Germany was already suffering through the late twenties and then, you know, with the great depression and everything, they were on the worst hit because of all the, uh, impacts of um, the financial impacts and whatnot of World War One, and the fact that they did, you know, democracy got going a bit, but it wasn't strong enough to hold back the um, hold back the advances of uh, different political ideologies that were coming out at the time. And um, Hitler's fascism, you know, worked its way in there and just captured the hearts of enough people. And it wasn't even it's kind of like when we look at votes these days, it wasn't um, it wasn't even close to a majority vote, but it was enough to get the get the power. And then you know, obviously, he worked his dictatorial. Um, workings into a weak uh, political system to gain more control to the point and you know in those early years Nazism for a lot of the people did seem right and there was a lot of detractors of it obviously there there's a lot of people that fled Germany before the war even started because they knew what was coming um, and uh, you know international leaders had worries about it but would too <laughs> just didn't want to get themselves into another war which they led them led their way down that path anyway because uh, Hitler had his plans but yeah it's the way Nazism captured people um, that were looking for something, as you said, because of you know uh, you know socioeconomic issues that were uh, you know obviously from the Great Depression and just the fact that Germany was still looking for some identity, you know, um, they were looking for their place in the sun was the, the the saying back when they got their independence back in the eighteen eighteen hundreds, and like, they were just trying to get their seat at the table of all the other world powers, and they tried that in World War One, didn't work. Um, uh, it could have worked. I it was very close, <laughs> very close. Um, but yeah. Um, and then you know, World War Two again was their next. You know, Hitler's next shot into it. And you know, a lot of the people in Germany, even if they they were just proud. You know, a lot of people were just proud Germans, and they saw Nazism as a as a nation- nationalistic pride. Um, and a lot of them may not have seen it. Obviously, didn't see the evilness of it. They just saw the positives of um, being proud of proud of their country. Which is, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of themes in this movie that. Uh, resonate now as well which uh, Tyker certainly said in his yeah said definitely that, yeah I mean he finished the first draft in 2011 and then made a couple of other movies in the interim and then he came back to it and he realized that the time timing for this movie was uh better now than ever really unfortunately we don't want to have a movie resonate with us so much because of current goings on but yeah we can see a lot of what was capturing these young particularly the you know Jojo is a could be an avatar for anyone that's, that's looking for something in unfortunately and uh yeah we see it now and but the movie did a really good job of showing that right at the start with the the beatles track and the footage of triumph of the will and just showing how how easy because that, that looked that just with the track over the top and the footage it looked looked like a great party <laughs> I mean, right yeah i saw obviously say that in the context of just start trying to say how people would have seen triumph of the will and stuff i'm certainly not trying to condone anything about nazi germany but you can see and that's what tiger's doing with this film is trying to show how through a certain, if you if you're a ten year old kid and only looking at only not getting all the facts, you know you you're gonna see this in a, a very colorful and fun light. Is how you're gonna see this world. Yeah, and the only way a kid is going to be into a like politics like that is if you're in a situation like that where there is this grandiose person on a stage all the time that makes people wear uniforms and has this whole, you know, um, aura I guess about him. Obviously, it's an aura of hate but as a little kid when you're told that that's the only positive thing going for you and this is the guy that this is why you have food on your table 
Whereas, you know, before that, your parents didn't have food on their table for 10 years after World War One. Mm -hmm. um, then, yeah, you would be literally brainwashed by the you whole thing. And, table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a that's a lovely little insight into showing how um, Taika's Hitler is just a figment of Jojo's imagination throughout because Jojo really has no idea about any real world problems until he finds himself in the middle of some because of, well, his own doing in a way. And uh, also his mother's affinity for being anti-fascist, which is very dope, but uh, <laughs> certainly something he can't understand. Yeah. Anti-fascism is very dope. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess we can uh, probably the one of the most important things to address about the movie. I think um, as I get, oh, I just suddenly got itchy, so I was like, I realized I was backing away from the microphone. I was, uh, but um, too close to a grenade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe it was like some phantom pains for Jojo. Um, <laughs> before we get into that, that uh, which is just a hilarious scene, one of many hilarious scenes, but um, Tyker's Hitler was one of the things that really was divisive and uh, Tyker himself has said I didn't ever wanted to make a film that everyone loved because if I made a film that everyone loved it wouldn't have done the job I wanted to do he knew that he knew what he was writing what he was making was going to be divisive because that's very subversive film yeah and yeah. that's what filmmaking that's what uh I wouldn't say it's dangerous filmmaking but it's what important filmmaking often is is um in when you're talking about issues that are, um have such serious undertones you never if you do it in a way that everyone's going to love it then you're probably not doing the service to the story that you were actually trying to tell so yeah, like propaganda yeah. which is like kind of some of the backlash to the last dance documentary right now that's going on is and ken burns said it um actually this week yeah this, this is a little tangent here but uh, he said like if you know if the person being profiled has any control over it then it's completely lost its credibility as journalism so it's kind of like that with Taika on this. It's like if somebody was like if he was trying to please everybody, then he would lose his credibility. Yeah, yeah. And Taika's background is um, a Maori New Zealander, so he he said a lot of his his um, prejudice that he's experienced throughout life has been because he's brown. But he's also his on his mother's side is um, Russian Jews, so he does have a um, he does have some background in understanding um, that history as well. Obviously, anyone can read the history, but actually, you know, we actually being a part of that culture is um yeah so he's he's uh, joked about the double whammy he's had at times in life when <laughs> you know on the outside you're a brown and then the, uh, obviously the um that cultural background as well but he said that so he had he had a real affinity for this you know a lot of people that have looked at this film and haven't really looked at the background just think Tyke has just made this glorifying nazi make hitler and aloof character. i don't think it's that at all either well, I, I know what, you don't no like, i know but that's what's nuts about what I found crazy, and I read some reviews again before we jumped on the pod this morning, and it was just not seeing how many people just completely missed the point of the film and and didn't understand what like they were like, oh, it's problematic to make Hitler so funny. This character, like, we need to say this character isn't Hitler. It's the kid's imaginary friend called Adolf that he pictures as Hitler, but you know, it's it's Taika acting as obviously Taika Waititi plays this Hitler character, and all his dialogue is the dialogue of a ten year old kid. It is clear as day for me that this is 10 year old kids projection of Hitler. And even, yeah. and I think one of the important things I noticed on the rewatch is when Jojo is putting up the, the uh, propaganda posters around the town, he flattens the fate, he flattens the picture of Hitler on the screen. And every time he rubs his hand over it, it flashes between a real picture of Hitler and then Tyker's Hitler. 
And so about yeah. four times it goes, you know, Tyker's like got this, you know, stupid look in his face and then it's got real Hitler and then back to Tyker's stupid Hitler. And and so it's showing clearly there. It's like this: these two people are two different people. His projection of Hitler is what he thinks Hitler wants him to be. But, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to, and he's satirizing how stupid it all was, essentially. He right. Really, and yeah. He, yeah. And it's obviously not JoJo's fault for looking at hitler that way when you're 10 years old like that's that's what you're being force fed and you know even at the start of the movie when they're at camp and him and yorkie which first mentioned yorkie mvp (laughs) but (laughs) they're talking about you know jewish people um and they're just saying all these lies and they just like naturally believe them because they're like 10 and 11 years old and that's what they've been told. And when mm-hmm. you're that age and an adult tells you something, you're like, well, of course. I, I mean, that must make sense. You don't have critical reasoning yet, especially like when you've been brainwashed already. So, yeah. So, yes, I agree with um, if you can't understand why Taika played it, portrayed it that way, then this movie wouldn't be for you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the thing about satire is you need to. I think people when you watch a film like this you need to probably educate yourself a little bit about what it what it is about and understand the nuances of what it's about and what they're trying to go for is um there was um i I remember i read one of the reviews i read this morning was with the uh, holocaust center of i think in los angeles had a discussion about the film one of the guys that ran the center said the problem with the film is if people go into it with no context then it doesn't make any sense and it looks like a glorification of things if you and he was basically saying it is problematic because people aren't getting it. But if you gave people the proper education going into the film, and it's not even saying you need to do a four-year college course, just do a bit of reading and understand what this life was and then what satire is. And he said it's actually a really, he said it's a really good film and, and can actually be of educational value if you have the right background going into it. Um, which I thought was probably one of the best actual reviews I saw of the film. Was it, he did say, look, I see what everyone's saying, but... If you actually give you if you uh, give it give it a chance and give it some time, then you can actually get a lot out of this film and understand how it how it plays out to our, to our current situation at times here too. It, it's important in showing how easy these things can happen because they're kind of still happening. So yeah, and just how how people you know we look at Nazi Germany as a whole and like oh all these evil Nazis and stuff. Like a lot of these people are just in their country, just going like. Nazism made their country better. Mm. They didn't understand everything that was going on, whether it was, you know, the Holocaust or, you know, the militarization of the country. They just knew that they had, um, they just knew that their lives were better. And you can kind of see that mirrored over here at times. But uh, I can't remember the point I was trying to make. But you can see why their lives would be as rosy as they are at the start of Jojo Rabbit because Mm -hmm. they have their head in their about all the evils that are going on they're just in this land of like prosperity in their minds yeah and they don't know about everything like we think that all the when we look back at world war ii we think like all these germans had like knew about everything and obviously they knew that that the regime did not like jewish people and a lot of people didn't like jewish people but that wasn't every single person in germany you know it was just the people that like were crazy nazis basically like even there's different segments of their their army um whether it was uh the wehrmark and then the ss right mm, yeah yeah well the wehrmark was the main german army and the ss was yeah your your special division um that yeah there's more you were certainly going to be more radical if you're ss you know the wehrmark was 
yeah, there's a the readings I've done. There's a lot of division. You know, people were just in the art, and you know, and the army at the first was. Uh, I mean, the final solution, all those things, it was certainly was that, you know, they were trying to create this Aryan race kind of thing. But uh, in the first five, six years before the, the war started and all that, there was like none of that stuff was, you know, actual death camps and stuff wasn't a thing. It was just it was like they were slowly rounding them up and then and just laws were tightening. And it was and that's the way it, yeah, cre- really, it, it, it like, was it, happening. Yeah, it creeps in. And that's what hap- that's what it kind of shows with um especially with Jojo's character is like all this stuff creeps in. You don't really think about um, it happening until you're suddenly indoctrinated. And Jojo's at what, 10 and this is in 1945. So he's born in, in this happening. So he's just, his literal entire life has been, this has been normalized for him. And so, you know, anti-Jewish. And he's not evil. He's just like a young kid confused. It's literally what Elsa, who is also a great character says, um, who, who, um, Thomas and Mackenzie, the Kiwi actress, she did a really good job of that role, um, playing the the Jew hiding in the um in the attic. And she she says to him, she's like, you, "You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're just a ten year old kid." Yeah, yeah. He just wanted to like belong, basically. Yeah. Like, look good in a uniform. I think she says. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, he just you know we're as kids, especially we're all looking, we're all just we're trying to find ourselves, and you know some kids fall into you know into their roles very easy if they're good at sports or whatever but Jojo was kind of just trying to find himself he wasn't exactly and you can see right from the start it's what I noticed most of on the rewatch is like him and Yorkie both were at the camp like they're really excited to be there but every time things are going on that they're just like when the the ambush (laughs) yeah and the kids pop out of the grass and and Jojo's just like looking just completely confused and horrified by these kids just grappling each other and throwing each other down and and the guards kind of see him and realize um you, you can, is that's when they want him to kill a bunny yeah. after that. Well, yeah, later on. And then all the other kids in you know, Yorkie, when they when JoJo's given the bunny, is like kind of like, I don't know what to do either, man. Like they're both just like, they want to be part of it, but they don't actually, the stuff that's actually part of it horrifies them. But then they don't kind of put the connection together that this is, they're just like, oh, I guess this is what's happening. But, you know, you can tell that they're, they're, in inner morals and they're in a in a moral compass is saying this probably isn't right but because they just want to be a part of something because kids are just that's what they're looking for sometimes just you know you're trying to find meaning to life right from the start as a kid you don't really understand it but i think you're always trying to find your place and yeah it just shows how easy it is for kids if they don't have the right um direction that they can just their minds can get warped so uh, warped so easily by because we all look at the adults in the room when you're a kid and say, well, whatever they're saying must be right um, because they're the adults. So they're just listening, even though they they can see fundamentally there's something wrong with what they're being given and directed to do at this this uh, this Hitler youth camp. Um, the adults in the room are saying this is what you should be doing. So I guess they're just like, well, I guess that's what we should be doing. And they don't have anyone else otherwise to tell them. Well, and a big undercurrent of the film is that you know, Jojo wants to be a grown up, and Elsa wants to be a grown up. They want to be they they want to be these grown ups, but they're still kids. The mm-hmm. only thing that's grown up about them is they're 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 being forced to grow up, but they're still little kids. And it's easy to see why Jojo wants to be a man because his dad's gone. He's I think he literally says he's the man of the. I, I think it's Sam Rockwell who says he's yeah. the man of the house. And so Jojo wants to be a man, and the only men he's ever seen in his life are like Nazis. So of course he wants to grow up and be that. And whereas Elsa, like the women she wants, she sees like Scarlett Johansson and wants to be like her in that same kind of sense. 
but uh, it de- that definitely is an undercurrent of the movie is just them wanting to be older and them wanting to be adults, but they're still kids. And even though the war has made them older souls, they're still little kids when it comes down to it. Even yeah. though, you know, Arjo says that tells Elsa that she's lived, you know, more lives than most. Mm-hmm. But like, what does that really mean when you're living in like a, a crawl space? You really haven't. I yeah. mean, you've mm-hmm. seen worse things, but you're still like, you're not living like the life that, you want to be living, obviously, you're hit away. Yeah, and I guess no one is really in that situation, even if, you know, um, Scarjo, or Rosie is Scarjo's character name, um, and brilliant as well. She was nominated for the Academy Award, and um, I would have... Did a one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, she's brilliant in this. Uh, but, you know, she's she's getting out and about and doing her... Um, doing her resistance work, but that's no, that's no way to live either. It's just you're doing, you're doing what you can, um, which I love. You know, there's a good duck on it, just a... At the start of the film, Jojo, when he's putting on his uniform, he says, you know, I'm Jojo Betzer, I'm 10 years old and I'm about to go to the Hitler, whatever, the you, you, whatever, cult camp. Um, and then at the end of the film, <laughs> end of the film, he gets, he gets ready and he says, I'm, I'm Jojo, I'm 10 and a half and I'm just going to do what I can today. Like, <laughs> I love that. Which the, he says. Yeah. Which she says um, at one point, she just like, I, um, and she says that about uh, the people hanging at the start of it too. She asks, like Jojo asks her what they did. Yeah. And she goes, what they could. And Jojo ends up mirroring that later yeah. in, at the end of that. And, you know, because that's what his mom did. His mom did what did what she could. Mm. And, yeah, I, I think outside of the, like, extreme satire and comedy that's going on, there are a lot of heartfelt things to be found in this film. And obviously the end scene is super heartfelt. But uh, beyond that, um, I think if you look for it, it's not that hard to find. Yeah, there's lots. I mean, the moments between um, Rosie and Jojo are some of the real highlights of the movie. Um, particularly watching it back, when you know what's coming, you kind of focus on their relationship a little bit more because it's just like, and she's, you know, she her, her kids are, you know, a Nazi in training, and she's obviously an anti-fascist resist, um, working deep within the resistance and hates everything that's going on, and she's still got this profound love for her kid because she knows that there's a good kid inside there um and she mentions it um there's the train um she mentions yeah. it at some point in the film like when she's talking but also in, in, the, in the attic <laughs> um yeah she's talking with elsa and says you know like i know like the kid like he what used to be so much fun like used to love like, all these things and i know he's still there it's just all this nazi stuff's getting in the way so you know she's she's loving you know it's that kind of love love without you know um without borders kind of thing she's just loving no matter what knows that things can get hopefully will get better and you know she shows her hope at the dinner scene when she realizes the allies have taken italy and whatnot and um but yeah the the connection between them and those scenes particularly that scene where they're having a day out and they're walking on she's yeah. walking on the wall dancing and he's just like ah oh, this dancing thing's stupid which you know the great foreshadowing he's just, trying to be grown up and he's yeah. trying to be cool he's trying to yeah. be like the adult and like She's just like wants to have fun with her son who's mm-hmm. ten years old and he and then he ends up having fun. Yeah. When he stops like when she ties his shoe to get shoes together and he then he's cool enough to dance and ride his bike all weird ways. And you see once he like goes to being that kid, they show Taika as Hitler with his binoculars and he looks frustrated <laughs> on the bridge far away. So it's yeah. yeah. So, because that's what Hitler didn't want. He wanted to be able to control them and he wanted them serious and he wanted them like focus on the on the goal so yeah 
and like um any any kind of fascist ideology you don't want the guy it's so singular minded you don't want any other ideas filtering into the head so jojo uh jojo rosie sitting there and saying which the essentially the thesis of the film is like love is the strongest thing in the world her saying that completely goes against um fascist ideology that the nation and the and the and the nation state is the strongest thing in the world you know love love and emotion and empathy is um you know just is doesn't work with uh, fascist ideology so her saying that is directly against and you know you know you've got tiger's hitler sitting on the bridge looking at frustrated because he's yeah. seeing you know that part of jojo's mind is hearing that and and seeing it as against everything that he's he's meant to be learning and being told to be a part of this um this um you know totalitarian state the thousand year reich all that stuff was um everything that was being said by rosie his mother who he loves obviously he loves her no matter what the weird things that he thinks she's saying um, about love and, and all these things, he loves her and that's like, but everything she's saying is against what he thinks. And, um, and that's exactly what the, the entire film is about love over hate. And that in that moment, that little discussion, it's a, a bit part of the movie that maybe not is, isn't as memorable as some other scenes, but I found it more powerful watching back um, her, her saying that and that just little conversation between them because she's, she's doing, she's, saying everything that's true and like is she's not indoctrinating him she's just talking to him um and giving him the the stuff he needs but you know it's bad that's where the battle in his mind is um being waged and with with hitler's with the apparition of hitler and um yeah it's really really powerful i found yeah and it's just another um scene that showcases that hitler is just a figment of jojo's subconscious where he's like literally like arguing with himself on mm. honestly in his head um especially later in 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 the coming scenes especially when hitler's in the bed <laughs> and he's saying you're getting really close with this person and he's like no it's all for the book and that's literally jojo talking to himself like hey are you actually like do you actually like this person and then him telling himself that no i'm doing it for the book but he actually so he's lying to himself like he's lying to hitler it's a, it's really um an interesting way. I mean, obviously the whole film is super interesting, but it's just an interesting um, way to perceive this work of art that he based it off of, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's powerful. It's really well written. Um, again, another review I read said, stated something about the script being weak. I don't understand that. It, I mean, it won adapted screenplay at the Oscars. So it's obvious that it was a, a, a well received and respected screenplay by a lot. And not that, again, I think I've said it on this podcast before. It's not that we, the Oscars are not the be all and end all, but it is a, it is a factor in um, understanding how well a film was received. And um, Tyker himself has said that the the six the six nominations across the different um, categories was vindication that his his divisive film was worth wor- was worth giving a shot because he he while he's he's happy that not everyone got it, it means like I said before it means it worked and and the vindication from um, awards means that, you know, the, the people that he that he's hoping to reach with some power, because, you know, Oscars gives films a little bit more boost as far as their popularity goes, as far as getting just people that may not have watched it to watch it. So um, it probably help get the film into more more lounge rooms and a few more box office sales and whatnot to get people, you know, pre, pre-cinema shutting down anyway. Um uh, it does seem like it'll be a cult movie no matter what though i don't think it'll ever have like why like like hbo or showtime won't buy the rights to it so they mm. can show it all the time i don't i don't think or like you won't see it on like 
TNT over here or anything, but I think it will be kind of more of a cult-like film. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of the movie groups on Facebook that I, I'm just a part of, and you see it pop up a bit there, and it's it's an odd one. Um, people are just like, "Oh, what did you think?" And and the comments are predictably um, more people are not like it. Some people just don't get it. One guy was like, uh, one guy said he wouldn't even watch it because it had a had a, a comedic portrayal of Hitler, and a bunch of people said. Do you, it's it's satire. That's the, the whole point. Is actually he's just like, no, I don't care if you can't you can't do Hitler that way. And that's that's the kind of things you're going to run into in the films like this and why the film. And you know he's he obviously is actually a person that doesn't like Nazi ideology or anything like that. But it shows that the films films still at satire and films like this are so hard to make sure people get it. And and that's the whole point is that not everyone's going to get it. So. Um, it is to show how hard it is to make a film like this, though, and I think what Taika did was brave in the sense of making this film the way he did it because um, it. I don't think there'll ever be a film quite that does satirise Nazi Germany quite like this, particularly, as I said at the, the start, it is the end of Nazi Germany, which was actually a really, really rough time, which um, I was getting to was saying how great the production production design of this film was by starting the film with a very light hue as far as the the cinematography goes and the lighting of the film and how it was colored um at the start um and then it slowly you can slowly see the hue of the color change right to the end and the breaking point is obviously when tragically he finds uh, jojo finds his mother rosie hanging because of her being caught for a anti-fascist resistance work um and you see that color palette just completely change um and it's just such an underrated, another underrated part of the film. And I, that's one thing that I think is just being completely missed by a lot of people that actually criticized how colorful it looked. And I was like, there was a point to this because this is jo- the entire film. We're seeing the world of Nazi Germany at this time through Jojo's eyes. And he obviously mm-hmm. sees the film very, he obviously sees the world colorful and fun at the start. And you, there's little bits like when he's at the pool um, doing his recovery work, there's veterans with lost legs one guy doesn't have any yeah. arms they're all just sitting in the background the focus is never on them and they're just there and so it kind yeah. of shows that jojo's world was surrounded by these people by the horrors of war but he just didn't see it until he wasn't paying attention yeah. yeah it is it is masterfully masterfully written and made it's that it impresses me more and more on rewatches as well yeah and if you look around like the streets um there's more people you know, almost like begging or like giving away like like old potatoes or whatever as the story goes on because Jojo wasn't seeing that beforehand. He wasn't mm-hmm. seeing that like war was tearing his country literally apart. He only saw the good parts of war, of which there are no good parts, but yeah. <laughs> it, to a 10-year-old, there are, you only saw like the glory and all of it. But uh, once reality kind of set in, you started seeing, you know, the people who lost their houses in the war and mm-hmm. were like you said, the people who lost their limbs and stuff like that. It's not all roses. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, there was that scene where he's walking along the street and there's a guy giving out Panzerfaust, like the tank-busting um, bazookas, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Right, Just to yeah. a bunch of, like, old, like old townspeople. Like, they're not soldiers. They're just handing out these tank busters to... Those are the German shepherds. That was the German shepherds, was it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're like, what is this? Like, they look confused. Uh, and then if you like later in that scene like um there's one of the girls that was laughing at jojo who wouldn't kill the bunny like at the start um in the forest she's like trying to figure out like an uzi yeah fumbling fumbling with a gun yeah 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 so it's like yeah war is all fun and games when like 
you're winning, but <laughs> like you can kill a rabbit in the forest and it's all fun when you're winning, but uh, when you're losing, uh, yeah, not quite as fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm just happy Sam Rockwell got his uniform. <laughs> and and uh, and Finkel carrying the gramophone, but the the record player yeah. behind there. Yeah, um, I think Finkel had. I think Finkel had to die pretty hard uh, there. I think that's why Rockwell was okay. Captain K was okay with uh, getting killed in the end. I think he knew he was going to his death anyway. I think they both knew. Well, Rockwell definitely did because he <laughs> he right at the start is just like you know wanting to go to the front, um, back to the front because I think he just wants to. He knows this thing's done and uh, just uh, hopeless and obviously. His um, sexuality was never going to work with the the ideology, and he's probably just disillusioned to it all. And um, a great character and greatly written. Um, Rockwell is one of those actors that no matter what he does, I am captivated by his performances. Um, you know, I think I've talked about you know Seven Psychopaths and is one of my favorite films, and his performance in that. And then right back to uh, the Way Back, which is a the way way back the way way back yeah sorry i forgot the there's another movie <laughs> the way back is a different film <laughs> yeah that's come out recently hasn't it yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah the way way back his character in that is one of my favorite characters in films because it's just just so wonderfully acted and then his his um empathy and the, the he just puts his soul into every role he plays no matter how crazy it is even like i remember him from Charlie's Angels back in the day, like young Sam Rockwell, like he just, he's memorable. Whatever he does, he really puts a lot of work into and, and genuinely cares about the characters he's playing. And you can see that come through in this, a German, German disillusioned, um, you know, lieutenant or whatever he was being, could easily be um, a role that was problematic and just not that much fun. But he, he somehow infuses the right amount of pathos and stuff into the, the into the role that, you just love the guy and, and is so devastated at the end of the film when um, well, he, he heroically gives, uh, gives up his life. And that little speech he has to Jojo near the end of the film um, is just so, uh, such a beautiful moment where he says, you know, he says, you know, I'm sorry about Rosie. She was a, g- a good person. And then he emphasized and said, no, she was an actual good person. Like, I'm really sorry about yeah. this. And Jojo just breaks down crying and, he's, and he just grab, holds him and says, you're a good kid. And, and then does the ultimate sacrifice for Jojo. So, yeah, and it seemed like he's kind of the heart of the movie, other than obviously like the relationship between Rosie and Jojo and mm. Jojo and Elsa. But you know, as far as the war effort, like like we already talked about, he is extremely disillusioned by the whole thing. Obviously, because mm. he probably lost his eye in something that didn't need to happen, and who knows if he was ever into it because he was a gay man. Like, who knows if he was ever into the. <laughs> the Nazi movement, you know, yeah. um, I'm sure he had to hide it. Uh, obviously there's not a lot of backstory for that character, but, yeah. uh, other than he lost his eye and that's why he's teaching the children. But, uh, yeah, really kind of the heart because like, even when Jojo brings up all the stuff about Jewish people, um, throughout the movie, he's just like, what are you talking about? Like, like, why are you in like, even like, his, I don't know what to call his uh, assistant. <laughs> I guess <laughs> his partner in uh, partner in life. <laughs> his partner his, in life, yeah. who's there for everything, who yeah. most of us know as Theon Greyjoy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Finkel. Even, Finkel was his name. Yeah, Finkel. Yeah. yeah, they just kind of look at each other too when JoJo says all that stuff. Even though Finkel does have like 
think Finkel's a little bit more radicalized than Rockwell, but again, he's younger, and so he grew up with it more, um, yeah. and that's another sign of it. But uh, yeah, he's obviously really loyal to Rockwell. Yeah, so. he's 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 very good, and he doesn't have obviously as many lines, and he's just more of a. He has like two lines. But just I when swear. he he takes off the ca- his jacket at the start and says Captain K, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. And then like his little isn't when he brings the German shepherds and they have that little conversation. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. And they yeah, have that, that little look where you're like, oh yeah, no, no, they're definitely an item. Um, just uh, it's obviously he didn't have much to do as, uh, as much to do as either Rockwell and ScarJo and, and the main 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 parts of the movie. Even but, Rebel Wilson, yeah, but, Rebel Wilson uh, has a few, yeah, and she's great as well. But, just absolutely incredible. Yeah. As uh, <laughs> as the overbearing Nazi. <laughs> for Lund Raum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had 18 children for Germany. <laughs> and and she just looks at the girls like, yeah. Well, she does that like, again, I do this every week, audio medium. She kind of just does that hands down the body like, yeah, look at yeah. this. Which is um, anyone that knows Robert Wilson knows she's kind of, she's very incredibly comedic as far as her deadpan delivery of a lot of lines. But she's she does kind of, she does obviously just like she's a good physical actor as well. She knows how to like. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Including the scene in the swimming pool when she starts off at the one end of the bench and like slides over in the most <laughs> awkward way possible yeah. to like tell JoJo some lies about Jewish people, and JoJo like probably believes her. But Sam Rock—that's when Sam Rockwell and Finkel are like, "All right, <laughs> let's, let's save let's save these young men who are drowning right now." <laughs> Made them jump in and fight in a swimming pool. Yeah, with full weaponry on. Um, and they're probably adult weaponry and they're 10-year-old kids or whatever they are. And it's just an, it's another thing where it's just like the things that like, whether it's Jojo and Yorkie, Yorgi saying about Jewish people or like the Americans and Russians, because I think later on Yorgi is saying like, oh, the Russians eat people. Blah, 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 like no, later the, the Russians like stuff that, apparently they, they the Russians eat people and have sex with dogs. <laughs> yeah, with dogs, Jojo. <laughs> we've got to we've got to uh, we've got to stop we've got to save the country to stop them eating our people and screwing our dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and but then like even Rebel Wilson's uh, character, she just like said like says stuff about Jewish people and like the enemies and stuff that were like just lines that were like fed to them mm-hmm. from like a young age that they like they actually believed. I think Rebel Wilson at one point is like, "No, I knew somebody who knew uh, a Jewish person and like it's something like it's hilarious." She's, she's like, "Now he's dead." Yeah. He's like, "My <laughs> my uncle knows a Jewish person and he killed him." And it's like, "What?" <laughs> it's like the oh, I know my uncle. It was like my uncle. My uncle told me that a Jewish person ate him, and it's like, "What?" Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it was. So did he re- regurgitate him again? And like, is someone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can tell the and story. So, yeah, yeah. And so it, if you like look into it, it's like this is what like these. Like I know it's a comedy, but like this is kind of what these people were being told and what these people believed. And this is why even it's so in, like, important. The, the movie like this is so important because it shows how easy these things can spread, and we see it. We unfortunately see it now. Maybe we'll get to the um, the serious side of the satire after the after the intermission. But yeah, you you see it now. People spread stories about different cultures they don't understand. Now um, we see it with um, you know people that argue about um, the issues of. Um, you know, whether whatever religion it might be, that then there's certain religions that are certainly not as popular in the United States without naming it explicitly that um, people just don't understand and they only they get they read the flashpoints of it on Fox News about the bad sides of a religion and don't and don't listen to the good side and 
and then you suddenly suddenly you're being told by your uncle at Thanksgiving that the that um you know this religion is going to is already infiltrating a country and is going to take over in two years and we're all going to die like and yeah. those are literal things I've seen on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. It's not like it's we're just making it. It's like you see people say stupid shit about different cultures and and religions and races and ethnicities that they just don't because they don't understand them at all and haven't taken the time to understand them. They read read one hit point and that's and that's what Jojo Rabbit the entire movie they just. There's a little off offhand remarks about Jews and whatnot. That's obviously again satire, but it just shows how easy because it's just casual conversation. Jojo and Yorkie in the in the tent at the start of the film, just casually playing with their little uh, Hitler youth knives and and talking yeah. about and talking about if I saw a Jew, I'd stab. How would we know if it's a Jew? Well, I'd see its horns. Like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but that's again. It goes back to you know a kid like that's what they've been told by adults and they trust adults. So yeah. And it's not just one adult, it's like everybody, including like their favorite person in the world, which mm-hmm. is the Fuhrer. So yeah, you would, yeah, I mean, that's what they believed. But uh, obviously, I don't, I don't know, or he seems pretty into just, you know, I don't know, Yorkie, going with the flow. Yorkie's just a kid, like he is, jo- yeah. Yorkie is kind of like, Jojo is a real wannabe fanatic, like he's on the verge of being completely radicalized um, when he goes to that camp. Yorkie's just kind of... He's just a kid. Like he really is. Jojo's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like, like I said, he's a little bit more radicalized. Yorkie genuinely just seems like a kid that, because everyone else is doing this thing and his parents probably sending him, he's like, well, I guess I'm going to Hitler Youth Camp too. He, he, all all of his lines are just he's spitting back things that he's heard. Like the right, the he certainly, and then like at the, at the end of the movie, he's just like, I just want to go home and have a cuddle because he is just a kid. Like everything, yeah. you can tell nothing, nothing that Yorkie says really seems like something he believes he's just heard it and like like all kids we hear an adult say something um we assume and the adult says it's true then it's got to be true right like that's what your yeah. character truly seems like the real central kid of the film rather than you know jojo's a little bit got a little bit more going on there but yeah yeah and later in like like in the first half of the movies like we saw some jewish people they look just like us yeah yeah he's like, he's, he's like between... i mean that's <laughs> what you would be like they yeah, think he certainly like does some monsters or something. Yeah, he like thinks yeah. for himself, but he just does. He's just like, but they're telling us this stuff, so I don't know. Like, he just you can tell that like he's probably a smart kid. He just he just keeps getting told stuff, and there's a war going on, so it's just like go with the flow, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> when he's just like you know, the 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 Africans, the Indians, the English, the Americans, they're all coming, and the only ones yeah. are, the only ones that are on our side are Japanese. And between you and me, they don't look very Aryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is a hilarious again, and like. Like, in a history st- standpoint, it makes you think, like, yeah, what was going to be Hitler's plan, you know, if the Axis won? Yeah. Like, did they end up fighting Japan then? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, there's certain books that talk about a hypothetical worlds of a- the Axis winning and, yeah, the, the, a coming war between, because then they're the only two powers left in the world. And they're still, like, um, as far as the fundamentals of how their culture and society works, they're so different, Um yeah, Hitler would have some explaining to do if he said, no, these guys are our friends now. Because everyone would be like, we've just fought a war against all these different people. And then, yeah. Yeah, unless they made some kind of peace, like the Americans and the Russians. In, yeah. In a Cold War kind of way. <laughs> yeah, peace is a relative term. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, people weren't dying on the fronts other than like in satellite countries, which is not to be made light of. But yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, uh, thinking about the um, propaganda and stuff against, you know, in America wasn't, um, you know, innocent of this kind of stuff in World War Two either. You'd see the post the the posters about the Japanese um, that were published by American uh, publications to do propaganda as far as that, the war effort in the US and, and same with um, England and Australia it certainly weren't, um, no one was, you know, there's no, there's no innocent parties in war really, but um, certainly um, the racism was prevalent on both sides um, as far as, you know, the ideology of America may not have been, it's not totally fascist in uh, as far as how they were going about the war effort and, but yeah, certainly, um, there were some very, very racist images of um, Japanese soldiers on posters to try and, and so that's just how countries fought wars, um, unfortunately, and say they still do now. Um, is you demonize you demonize whatever an enemy you're fighting against or or whatever you're trying to you know Hitler was had their ideal uh, ideology about the pure um, master race, so that that's where the propaganda went, and the same with um, the other side fighting against this used those same tactics, unfortunately, um, because unfortunately what advertisers and people you know guys like Goebbels knew um you know the, as evil as they are they were very smart and cunning and they know how they know exactly how to get to the the psyche of i don't want to say simple-minded but it is it is people that just have, people that just haven't educated themselves enough everyone everyone is capable of educating themselves if they want to but people that don't want to and just want to be fed stuff will just listen to what these more people that are that have a cunning understanding of how the human psyche works and that's um very much a part of Jojo Rabbit as well. It's just that it was. It does show you just how easy it was to to tunnel into the psyche of the the mass populace and 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 then the the ones that hardcore believe it then then pressure the ones that are on maybe on the outskirts of that. And it's only the ones that are really on the fringes, like Scarlett Johansson's uh, character Rosie, that do resist it because everyone else just falls in line because it's just easier, um, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, as uh, they say in Men in Black, a person is smart. People are stupid. Yeah, I'm sure it's been said by a lot of <laughs> other people in more profound ways, but uh, yeah, I mean, you Kate got your... from Men in Black uh, <laughs> gets me, and it's true because people just want to belong and they want to be right. And when everybody believes the same thing, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong because everybody feels like it's right because everybody believes it and. They feel like they belong if they believe it. It's, uh, yeah, mob mentality is real and it's super detrimental. Um, And this movie obviously hits on that. Yeah, I mean, it's another small part of the movie is that, you know, kind of like everyone wants to be a part of something, but no one, not many people want to stand out. You know, Jojo doesn't want to go outside because once he gets, uh, obviously the grenade blows up in his face and he's got the scars, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to stand out and be stared at. And, um, but he really wants to be a part of it beforehand because he just he's, he can fall in with the um, the sheep, so to speak. Whereas now that he looks different and walks different. He's he doesn't want to be a, he doesn't want to go out because he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be different now. <laughs> and one of the great lines. But even yeah. even when he wanted to be part of the group, he was he still stood out because he didn't actually want to kill and yeah. fight. Like he yeah. wasn't evil. He was you know he's just a little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of Scarlett Johansson's best, most underrated lines of the movie is when she's just like, uh, you know, I wish I could look like that. I'm just cursed with being incredibly attractive. <laughs> right, <laughs> the yeah. way she delivers it is really good. Um, her, yeah. Her entire, entire... The way she, she's like a clown in it. Um, like her movement, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of she's her character like... is she's like, she's very much a, a free spirit. You know, she she acts whatever way that she wants to act in the moment, she does and 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 that's the ultimate part of being free is um 
expressing yourself, both you know, physically, um, emotionally, whatever, whatever it be. That's 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 what freedom is: is being able to make those choices. Um, which gets gets to the point at the end of the film, which we'll get to. Um, but we'll do that after an intermission. We've gotten to um, almost an hour here now, which, as usual, it always goes quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking Lauren. Forgot <laughs> she won Best Actress. That is that's ridiculous. In retrospect. <laughs> More on that on the other side of the intermission. All right. Well, we got we got Shay's Shay's incredulousness on the other side of the intermission, which is always <laughs> always something to look forward to. So we'll be right back. <laughs> Poor Jojo. What's wrong, little man? Hi, Adolf. Want to tell me about that rabbit incident? What was all that about? They wanted me to kill it. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Don't worry about it. I couldn't care less. But now they call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. I'll let you in on a little secret. The rabbit is no coward. The humble little bunny faces a dangerous world every day, hunting carrots for his family, for his country. My empire will be full of all animals. Lions, giraffes, zebras, rhinoceroses, octopuses, rhinoctopuses, even the mighty rabbit. Cigarette? Oh, no thanks, I don't smoke. Let me give you some really good advice. Be the rabbit. The humble bunny can outwit all of his enemies. He's brave and sneaky and strong. Be the rabbit. Jojo! Are you alright, Jojo? Who are you talking to? Nobody. And we're back. Um, Shay has found himself... uh, just randomly mad about the Oscars this year because he's been reminded of the fact that Scarlett didn't win for this performance. Um, that was, uh, we both agree, it was just incredibly charming, heartwarming. Um, very much we've talked about Sam Rockwell's um, character being uh, part of the heart of the film, but um, Rosie was very much um, at the heart of the film as well as far as being the, I guess, the opposite force against um, Jojo's imaginary Hitler and the ideology that was surrounding him in Nazi Germany. Um, Rosie was very much uh, the shining light on the other side of it, trying to pull him back from that. Um, and then Elsa as well, as, as he discovers Sarah through the film. But Scarlett's performance was um, really impressive. You know, I knew the nominations before I'd seen the film and and so I was wondering how impressed I would be by it, but I, I truly was impressed. And, and I think we both think she probably, um, without having seen all the other performances, I certainly think that she probably deserved it over over the person that won, which you have a better understanding of that one, so. Yeah, Laura Dern played a real dick of a lawyer in Marriage Story, and uh, she played it well. I mean, you really hate her. Mm -hmm. You really, really hate her, which is funny because she's ScarJo's attorney in that, so (laughs) kind of funny um, there, but, uh, I, you know, it's such a contrast to ScarJo's performance in this, and I guess it depends what you're looking for. A lot of the people who vote for the Academy Awards have probably dealt with an attorney before like that. So maybe they <laughs> liked it. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I just, um, I'd never seen Scar- uh, Scarlet do a performance like that, mm-hmm. I guess. And, and it just showed off her acting shot. I, I haven't seen Hail Caesar, but I think it's somewhat similar in that. Maybe I'll watch that tonight, but uh yeah, it's just like this goofy side of ScarJo where you don't really get to see that from her a whole lot. I mean, 
I can't really think of another film where she does it. Yeah, and especially like so much of her career in the last ten years has been uh, very much dominated as as a lot of people have with the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is great. Like she's you know a big part of that, and um, which is great for any any person in a career to be have such a that's that's jobs uh, you know job security in the movie world is uh, rare with how it works, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be the closest thing to it unless your uh, character gets killed off. Um, um, What's funny is I don't even like think of her like because i haven't seen any of those movies except yeah, like yeah like on tv a little bit in the background like if i'm doing something and i leave it on i don't think of her as like a marvel person i yeah. think of her as like you know scarlett johansson who's done all these you know great films not that those films aren't great i guess but they're not really they're, they're what different, i'm into. different kind of films yeah they're um yeah, yeah they're not necessarily for me either mm. um and so I don't blame her for that, but I definitely don't view her through that lens. Yeah. I view her through like the, I'm trying to think of like, well, it's a movie that you and you and I both watched recently, which is her, which she's not Oh, she's amazing in that visibly in that movie at all. You don't see her, which to have an actress that's um, famously is just, um, you know, not that we're like surface people in that sense, but she's um one of the people that a lot of people talk about as, you know, one of the more, you know, beautiful actresses in Hollywood. But that film just uses her voice and she's amazing in that. Um so those are the those are the kind of performances I, I really enjoy. And I know I think you you did as well. Um and she does have so much range in that sense. And I think this this movie really showed that. Um just her like you said, her goofiness was um in for the for the when the character needed that was great. Um she was very I just found her sharpness in her acting so so brilliant. Like how, like when she's at the start of the film and she's like Field Marshal Jojo, uh, are you ready to go? You're a top man. Yeah. And just like, um, obviously they, they did accents in the film just to give it that that. Obviously they were still speaking English, but the accents were um, oh, something that um, when I was watching the the special features, that all the actors were talking about, like Stephen Merchant who plays the the Gestapo officer. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, so. yeah, well, yeah. Um, that but, is a horrifying scene for. Uh, for a dark comedy, even it just scary. he plays that an imposing man very well, probably because he's like seven feet tall. Yeah, well, they, a, they they lean on that a little bit there in that scene too. But yeah, just to finish on this, like her her accent work for the role was I thought was really 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 well done um, for a, a role that required so much um, acting beyond just uh, the, you know the speaking lines, but then her physical acting in those scenes. I can imagine. Anytime I try to do an accent, it's horrible, so I'm not going to try it. But I, I can imagine I trying to do everything that she was doing in that role with her um, facial expressions and ha- like the, the the pantomime acting she was having to do at times would have been with the accent and everything she was doing would have been something that took a lot of work. And I respect, and that's what you know the Academy apparently respected it too by giving her the nomination. And um, yeah, it's just really well done. And a lot of uh, beyond the the comedic side of it and the the uh, clown side of it, I guess you could say, um, the emotional side is really great as well. When she's speaking with Elsa in the attic, they're drinking the wine and they're having their discussions about life and love and all those things. Um, her emotiveness in those scenes and the and the empathy you could feel her character clearly had for the situation was really well done. You know, they didn't have too many scenes like that together, but they what they did, they you know, they were written so well by Taika certainly. But then um, you know, the performances um, on the screen were up to up to snuff as far as how what they were trying to get across and i think that's what uh, some of the low-key part great parts of the movie is just that empathy that builds through all these conversations with these great performances 
um, mean is what brings you to your emotional end of the film, which is why I'm uh, one of your favorite sayings, a leaky faucet at the end of the film every time I watch it, because the emotion that <laughs> these, these characters bring to the roles throughout the film builds that inside you towards the ending. Yeah, anytime um, any of the actors are asked to go dramatic in this, they all they all uh, show up, mm-hmm. I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, as you said, that scene in the attic or closet or whatever you want to call yeah, that. I don't know exactly little... what to call it. It's a yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. But that scene is just perfectly acted by them. Um, a lot of the scenes between Elsa and Jojo are really acted as, you know two young people that are both young but in different stages of being young and Mm -hmm. still trying to experience it whether she shows great she plays scared really great in that steven merchant scene which is incredibly imposing that Mm -hmm. whole that whole scene and jojo almost is like beside himself but she plays so like she plays the perfect amount of scared where she doesn't want to give away anything whereas jojo's younger and can't really control it mm-hmm. but uh once again that's sam rockwell's character uh saving the film with the heart of everything um by uh letting her go actually because she said the wrong- i wanted to bring something up to you do you think um now sam rockwell so yeah just to finish our point yeah scarlet great performance and fully deserved an oscar win if she got it i think but um movie yeah I, I would, yeah, I'll talk about her performance a lot more than Laura Dern's yeah. to use the Bill Simmons uh, category, I guess. Yeah, like, he'll never, you, he won't talk the... about Shape of Water in 20 years, but uh, I will. I like Shape of Water, but yeah. uh, more on that later. <laughs> like in life, not right now. Yeah, like a later pod. Um, yeah, yeah, that scene uh, we talked about on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pod, um, how the, the Spartan Ranch scene was um, so tense, tension-fueled and could potentially end that horror feeling that you get inside you. That scene when M- Stephen Merchant's um, forgetting the name of the Gestapo officer, it's not important, he's a Gestapo dude. Um, um, he, he certainly plays it really well as, as, as far as his comedic talents in that role as well because you, you're not sure when... when the, the cinema I was in, when they're all walking in saying the Hail Hitler to each other, um, busting up laughing, which is exactly what that was meant to be. It was meant that yeah. they're, they're trying to make you laugh at the ridiculousness of, of this um, ideology that demands that kind of, uh, you know, greeting to each other all the time. Um, it, it was just, you said, and they're like, you know, every person that walks in the room, Hail Hitler, Hail Hitler. And then, yeah, yeah. And then when, over and over. Yeah. And then when, um, Kleinsendorf or whatever Rockwell's character's name walks in. He's like, oh, what are you guys up to? And he's like, oh, we were just Hail Hitler and Kleinsendorf and then we're Hail Hitler and Jojo here and then we're Hail Hitler, yeah, yeah. Hail Hitler and <laughs> yeah. Finkel and then we're Hail Hitler and he's just riling through Hula Hail Hitler and just making a mockery of the entire situation. But, you know, uh, parallel to that is this tension that he's already building because you know these guys are there to check up on things. Um, you get the impression and then he's asking Jojo the questions very early about what, what his mother's up to and you can tell, okay, they're on to her. And then, um, and then Rockwell and and Finkel turn up. And my question to you is: do, Did they know that the Gestapo was going there? And then did they go to try and protect Jojo? Because we see through the film that there's that uh, Rockwell's character has this affinity for Jojo and a protection for him, and obviously a disillusionment with everything going on, and like and isn't as fascist as he should be, considering his role in the in the German hierarchy. Uh, I I was watching it again. And I was thinking he's he knew something was going on and turned up there with this with this you know ruse of uh, of of 
uh, giving pamphlets for Jojo because he's working for him, which is true. But he, I think he turned. He knew that he didn't have like, any pamphlets. Yeah, I think he, he turned up there to try but and see if he could help the situation. Does that make sense? Like absolutely. He, he was yes, worried. That, that, he was worried about what was going to happen. Definitely there. what happened. Yeah. So because he has I Rosie's love- bike as well, I think he saw that Rosie was hang- like hanging. I mean, to mm. use the parlance of what it was, yeah, was hanging, and he took her bike home, and like he's literally out of breath when he. Uh, so I think he saw Rosie. Yeah. Um, knew that they were coming, brought her bike back, says he has a flat tire. I think um, I think the only way he could get Rosie's bike was probably to take off the front tire and then carry it over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to watch it again, but I was thinking about it last night as well. But I think everything in that scene points to the fact that Rockwell knew that, mm-hmm. uh, that they were going to be there and he was going to do whatever he could to help JoJo because he knew. I think... Because JoJo was saying everything along the lines of the, the idea that Rosie was harboring a, mm. a young Jewish person yeah. or a Jewish person because he's asking him all those questions. And anybody else, if it was any, if it was Rebel Wilson that JoJo was saying it to, she would probably leak that information. Mm-hmm. And there is a theory that, like, that's what ended up getting... I mean, it's a dark theory, but uh, that's what ended up getting Rosie killed is JoJo talking about like what would happen all that. And it like kind of tipped them off to yeah. her involvement. And I don't really want to think about that, but uh, you know, it's out there yeah. and I'm sure that stuff did actually happen in reality. So well, na- neighbors were dobbing in neighbors and, you know, and the, I've been, I've been to the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam and that's just like, not like just that history of just what it was like to try and harbor people and how hard it was to keep them because it was like you know making sure the noise wasn't you know because they were just unreal walking through how tight those little ladder slash stairways are and the tiny little rooms and the rooms that they had to be in all that time but um yeah it was it was you know you never knew who to trust because people that you thought were friends for life may have bought into things a little bit more or that or they were just scared for their lives and they they you know um whispers here and there and it was it was so hard to make sure that, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> what we're going through with COVID-19 right now. You, you really got to be careful about where, where you're going and what you're doing to stop the spread of this. And, you know, the, the whispers and lies and and ideology can spread in similar ways. It's just, it, it's infectious that way. And, um, you know, who knows, you know, one person might have just got a whiff of something going on and then may have just said it in passing to another friend. They weren't even going to dob them in, but then that that moves on, and who, yeah, right. yeah, you could you could go down a rabbit hole for hours. I'm sure of trying to work out how how she got caught, but you know, she was very much um, her character was herself. So you know, maybe it was just her being a bit too loose with her um, ideology at times too, because you could she um yeah she she needs the guy in the balls straight away at the start of the film too. So. Obviously, he didn't. He care. said he was going to pay for it. Or he <laughs> said, "What's your mother going to do to me?" But uh, yeah. So this brings up a couple of questions I have for you mm-hmm. about the whole thing, and I'm not trying to like, like pick holes in the film or anything like that, but just a couple, mm-hmm. you know, takeaways that are kind of around here. Elsa plays a little fast and loose with the, uh, you know, once she comes out, uh, she plays a little loose, right? In the sense of um, a little ballsy, yeah. I mean, um, is your question just is what kind of person is she? It's not or? really a question. It's just like, a, oh yeah, I I love that. Like in regards to what we were talking about about like hiding people and how careful yeah. you had to be. She plays it a little loose. Yeah, that's what I did. And um, what's that about? Well, I guess, Jojo, I guess 
the thing, I think she was actually probably being pretty careful beforehand because Jojo never heard her until he, he the way he, no, he the, the crack. Yeah, the way he finds her is that little scrape or crack on the floor. So I think she was actually probably being pretty careful beforehand. But then once Jojo's discovered her, he's the only one in the house. So she's like, well, I don't have to. I don't have to worry about the noise of my, you know, me moving around up here. Um, you know, ScarJo even says like when she, when Jojo says I heard a ghost, and then she talks to her and says, "Oh, you got to be a bit more careful," um, because you know, he, you know, Jojo thinks yeah. he's a ghost, but Elsa actually knows. No, he, she doesn't say it, but she knows. He knows that I exist, so I don't actually probably. She probably knows it. She just doesn't have to quite. And she recognizes straight away that Jojo is just a kid, and that um, he's confused and. And and she has the leverage that you know if they find out about us, then I'm just going to tell them that you guys are harboring us. So um, yeah, that think, is true. And then she, I think she recognizes very quickly that it's a chance for um, maybe educating and and opening his mind a little bit too. You know, she sees that he's she sees that for all his uh, blustering about Nazi ideology, he's actually just you know recounting lines. Um, to to do what I do occasionally on a podcast to paraphrase Starship Troopers, it's um, it's the teacher <laughs> saying, okay, that's direct from the text, but do you really understand it? You know, so um, usually I would chug my beer. Uh, <laughs> I'll do one for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just chalked it up to her being also being young and naive because we don't really know how old she is. You know, she's playing seventeen. She, she, does she ever say that? That's the sister's. I, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, well, actually, I would say if her sister's birth year is 1929, according to the papers, which were obviously she, and she said 1929 and it's 1945. So I guess 16 probably. Um, but then she says, the other the reason I said 17 is she says, my papers were taken three years ago when I was 14. So that's why I said 17. So I was 16, 17, I guess you could say. Yeah, but she was pretending to be the sister, and they probably were the same age. Well, they said they were, they were, they were this, that, and that's the other thing is they were friends, so I assume that was in the same year as school. Just, we're friends, and you're a lot older than me. So. I'm a year older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're both past 30. It's all, it's all just the same at yeah. this point. We just say we're in our 30s. Yeah, no, that's true. I but I, I, I guess at high, part to high school age kids, you just assume they're around the same age. So that's why 16, 17 yeah. would be my ballpark, particularly because... Jojo, you know, obviously at the end he says he's in love with her, and but you're a lot older than me. Um, and he's very understanding of the fact that it's it, it, she. He, I love that. that by the way, uh, we'll get I think that. that's an we'll, amazing love story. Is it's kind of like the rush. It's kind of like going back to Rushmore. It's like a a love like there is like Elsa does have feelings for Jojo, but not like romantic feelings. Yeah, yeah. Or like, or like she could have romantic feelings for him if they were even anywhere close in age, mm-hmm. kind of like Max and um, can't remember her name at the moment, yeah. but Miss, uh, Miss Cross, Mrs. Rose, Cross, Miss Cross, Rosemary Cross, yeah, Rosemary. Um, yeah, so it's that kind of it's that similar kind of thing where they have a vibe together, but uh, you know, yeah. obviously can't work at that age. And but the younger person doesn't get it. Jojo doesn't get it. And Actually, I think he gets it more than <laughs> not that we like than Max. Yeah, because he says he's like, okay, I understand the and I understand like you probably love me like a younger brother, and she's like, yes, like a younger brother, and he's like, yeah, that's fine. And then you know, I mean, but that's just like an honest yeah. portrayal as well. And I don't know in the book if they if it's similar or not, but uh, mm-hmm. like the portrayal of like when you like a girl when you're really young, and like 
she likes somebody else and so you hate the person that they're with and you think of ways that <laughs> they could die and, yeah the the, uh, the you who jew book when he's uh, yeah, when he reads it when yeah. stephen merchant's reading through it and it's like uh who's controlling the brain the devil it's funny yeah it's funny because it's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah then they get to the pages and it's just like oh nathan being eaten by oh nathan, nathan, nathan hanging yeah. from a tree nathan who's this nathan guy <laughs> yeah so was nathan like what do we think nathan was, like was in reality i think i i don't know if it was he uh i mean she says he died of tuberculosis older year, we think maybe possibly. like 20 and and yeah i guess that comes again to the age because she insinuates they're in a relationship so were they just in a high school relationship which, you know, can be full of love anyway, so who knows, like, um, but she says that she was engaged to him, but, and maybe this is just her having memories of her one high school relationship, because I, I've thought about this, because I, I kind of was like, she says she's engaged to him, but then she's like, seems like she's 16, 17, which, who know, at that, at that time, you know, it can happen now. With the so, world at war, yeah. but also Jojo says that Elsa's his girlfriend, so I was thinking it might be something like that, where it's like, oh, I was engaged to him, it's like, oh, you, like, we're in love for the first time, so you thought like yeah. wanted to, yeah, type of thing. But um, uh, and then the other question I would have is, do we think JoJo's dad is alive, and does he come back? Yeah, that's left a bit ambiguous, and I think uh, again we've talked about ambiguous endings to films being deliberately that way. I think it, it's because um, no one, everyone, like the the Nazis that are even trying to give Jojo crap about his old man being a deserter is like we don't know where. Like they never, no one ever explicitly says he's dead. So I think deli- well, he definitely deserted. Yeah, I, and I and I think that. and I think that this, um, Scarlet's Rosie is working with like they, they say that he's working from afar, and that's well, that's the information Elsa passes to Jojo that as far as she heard is that he was working with them from afar. Um, so it's, I, I like to think that maybe his dad was going to come back afterwards and, um, and now going to reconciliate because there was, there was a little tinge of, um, the fact that he was maybe the more traditional overbearing, you know, I'm going to yell. And then, you know, cause Scar- uh, Rosie has that bit where she puts the, um, the, yeah, the, the, great uh, bit. Yeah. No, Amazing. again, another part of her great performance, but, um, and then she says, you've got to apologize to him. And she has that two sided conversation. Yeah, right. Which is a, a maybe an eye into the life that they had before he left for the war, and and um, obviously he's missing his father figure, which is why he's replaced it with Hitler. Um, is another <laughs> random part of the movie that I thought was very um, an underrated, but you know if you read into it, it seems like he's he, that part of Jojo's indoctrination is that he's just replacing his lost father with the father figure of the fatherland. Um, uh, but even, yeah, I yeah. I, th- I I I liked I you know it's it's all theories at this uh, when you're talking about an ambiguous ending. But I like to think that he comes back and um, shows Jojo what an actual father figure should be, rather than you know Hitler. <laughs> right. Yeah. And do we think Elsa leaves then? What? what no, nah, I think mean? I think they hang out for a while and rebuild. Like you know, maybe maybe it's a year or two before. They're just two kids, like yeah, like, like they, what's Jojo gonna do if he doesn't? And what's like... Elsa gonna do if her family's all like? I assume that they. She probably. I thought about this as well as that at some point. You said she saw him taken away on a train. Yeah, I assume so, at some point. I mean, that's not to say they couldn't have survived, but yeah. uh, it's not. not I good. mean, people had to do this after the war. Is like the amount of people that were obviously brought their families. The Holocaust being a serious thing that really happened for anyone that still doubts that. Um, you know, you got six million plus people that were, you know, sent to these death camps and killed or whatever. Across the time of this war, a lot of people after the war had to go and, you know, that's obviously 
the age well, well, well before the internet or even um, you know phones and stuff were there, but you still had to. It was an arduous journey to find out what happened to your family in those situations. So I am assuming that she probably had to go through that journey herself at some point. It was you know travel and find out you know documents and see where her family ended up, um, which for a lot of families and could have been hers included was a very tragic ending. You know Anne Frank ended up dying um, along with half half of the family in the. In the camps when she Wasn't was Wasn't her discovered. dad the only one that survived? I think so. He was the one that released the diaries afterwards. It's just and was really, the really most much brutal yeah. thing in the world. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, that's I, I I did think I was actually thinking about that just this morning. So it's a good question to bring up. You haven't caught me off guard like half the time because I'm ill-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about it this morning was that, you know, I think... I obviously, you know, the, the movie ends with them dancing on the, dancing on the steps there, which... Um, jojo's at eye level with her which is kind of interesting um yeah um but um and then i i just get a weird I'm vibe pr- from that scene like like he lets her outside and it looks it's just kind of like it feels like she's gonna leave i mean i hope she doesn't but uh it just feels like she's gonna go somewhere well no I, obviously I, it's a weird scene in general because i think JoJo it's jojo giving her, her the because he realizes i shouldn't have said that the germans won because you know she deserves it. And so he says, we're going to go, we're going to go and I'm going to make you safe. And then he walks out the door and said, all right, we made it. And it's just that little bit of writing is so powerful because it's yeah. like, we made it, we just walked out the door and we made it because you're free now. Like, and that was jo- and that was Jojo giving her the option. Like, you know, I'm, you, you, you know, everything that I know now, we are free. We are liberated by, you know, the American Jeep flying down the street. You know, I, you're yeah. not, you're not beholden to this household or me or anything. You can do what you want. And Jojo says, what do we do now? And she just starts dancing. And I think, and that's so powerful because early in the film, Jojo's like dancing stupid. Right. And, and, then, and then even when they're watching the uh, flat guns in the distance, when the city's starting to get invaded, you know, she says that she would dance. And so it's just, and I think dance is such a powerful thing. Like not that I'm a good dancer or dancer or anything like that, but I think it's just, <laughs> it's a, it's a very much a expression of freedom that he, all humans have. Like, you know, I'll be listening to, a song just in the kitchen while I'm doing some dishes and I'll just be bopping and you don't even notice, but it's just, that is the most simplest form of human expression that we have a freedom to do. Um, and when you've, and you're, when you're happy and, and you're not even thinking when you're happy and you know it, you know, clap your hands or dance or whatever, you know, <laughs> you know she's just like, you know, they've, they just can dance because dance is an expression of happiness and hope and in these right. kind of things, you know, like, um, you know, cause a lot of, you know, fascist ideologies, anything like that, it suppresses freedoms and expression and all those things and dance is very much a fundamental part of freedom and expression so i i that that ending brings me to tears every time i'm not ashamed to say it because it's and obviously said earlier that you know bowie's the way that song just it's it's a masterful track and how it builds emotion and particularly how it's used with how taika films and dancing and their expressions and and again like i said the build-up of emotion throughout the film because of the performances leads you to if you i look I'm an empathetic person, so I, I, I do feel teary at moments like that in films because I do like feel the character, like you know, not that I went through what they went through, but I try to make myself feel that as much as possible to understand that feeling, what that must feel like to have that freedom at that moment, and and dance because you've just the, this arduous journey that you've gone through that has seen millions of family members and people that are like you, as far as particularly the Jewish experience, die and be persecuted and killed in horrible ways to come to that moment is such an emotionally freeing moment and for her to just dance and and dance with this kid that you know 
whatever the timeline of the movie is, a few months ago was plotting to kill you with imaginary friend Hitler. Um, you've also gone through a journey with journey with him to to help him see the world the way he should see the world, um, rather than how he was being indoctrinated to see the world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I just stopped, I just stopped without giving you the giving you the hint. I, I was my long wind my long winded expression of of how much I love the ending scene. <laughs> oh, the ending scene is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really makes it. I think it needed that little last bit of. I don't know if it's com. I mean, it's lighthearted for sure, and it is comedy because they. It also shows that they're still kids because they're both pretty dorky dancers. Yeah. So. Um, it definitely needed that at the end because it is heavy when he lies to her. And some people on IMDb and Reddit thought that, you know, once he told her that uh, the Germans had won, which also doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when, you know, like Berlin is being attacked and she asks who went, who won the war. It's like, well, usually yeah. the city, <laughs> usually if a city is being attacked, they're not going to, they're not winning by any means. They might be, yeah. But uh, when he tells her that uh, that Germany won, that she has his knife, and mm-hmm. there's like that moment of silence after she after he says it, and some people, I guess, thought that she killed herself in that moment. So yeah, well, he so even, been, he even says that would have been real dark. That um, when he goes up there and reads the letters from Nathan, um. He says we do we do not we don't want you to kill yourself over this. <laughs> like he says something pretty much along those lines, and so it's again um, underlying all the you know the, the surface of the film was very much uh, looked like a comedy, but underlying all that is the very serious issues that a lot of these people were going through, and you know people people took their lives in in wartime situations like this, and um, because hope was lost, and there was literally the ending, um, you know, the ending of your life in a situation like that, you know when. Your only hope was that you thought this war was ending, and then she hears the Germans this massive attack from all sides from the Allies have won. I can't imagine what I'd do in that situation when I knew my only option was staying in this closet for another, you know, to the end of my life, yeah. possibly. Um, or and trying she's to... holding the knife too when yeah. he tells her. So you know, yeah. the yeah could have been re- Taika could have got real dark. Yeah, but. but I think his his whole thesis for the film was to. Uh, to show love over hate and like and you know to show that you know, this, this is the last vestiges of Jojo um, and and at this point it's Jojo's love for her um, um, clouding his mind as to what is right rather than his love for any Nazi ideology but um, you know he just want he, he's scared of losing her because it's it, she's literally all he has now because you know his, his father wherever he may be alive or dead but his sister um, and you know certainly Jojo loves her but he's also you know, she's kind of been, she's there as, um, you know, it's not mentioned too much in the movie, but when, um, when his mother, Rosie is talking about, you know, you're my lion, you're my cub. And then, you know, Papa lion. And then Jojo kind of sadly says, and Inga lion, like they, they, there is that you can tell that he's, it's the only real mention of the sister beyond the, the papers scenes, obviously, but there is that, that does very powerfully show that they're missing someone else in the family that unfortunately died. Um, I think I think it's the flu or something like that a year before, but uh, that's according to the book. It's the uh, Spanish flu, huh? Maybe not the Spanish flu. Yeah, Span- I I Spanish flu was up. the end of World War One, but, but it was yeah, obviously, stra- the flu like flu strains are always around. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but yeah, so there was that heartbreak as well, and so you know, Jojo's trying to hold on to this little bit of family that he's found in in um, Elsa and 
but then he then he shows his growth as well by saying by realizing you know she she's desert, she's a free person just like he is so that ending scene is really you know he and it's not like he 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 just he made a spare of the moment decision to say the Germans won and then tries to make make amends for it and does it in a really kind of nice wonderful way by you know saying well I'll, I'll get you to freedom and then walk out the door and say you're already here like it's really quite yeah powerful. yeah yeah and like he wanted to be a man and in that moment he he kind of became one so yeah. hopefully his dad did does come back and he gets to be a kid again he doesn't yeah. have to be an adult the rest of his life but going back to the movie is definitely about you know hope and and kind of like you were saying, is love over hate, and obviously it ends with a great quote um, that speaks to that. And I think when anytime a anytime a director ends a movie with a quote, like you got to take that obviously is what his thesis was for going, or what yeah. he was going, at. and right. the end quote is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final, which is quite. <laughs> Quite a powerful one, which I think he said um, plenty of times about how he felt the film was perfect. The timing was tragically perfect with what the world is going through, even before COVID, obviously, um, just with, um, he says in the um, special features, he talks about the political, he doesn't explicitly state any names or anything, but he very clearly says that some of the ideologies um, that are coming, that he's seeing come back into the world at the moment, um, he wanted to make a film that, that highlighted how, kind of stupid all that stuff is and wanted to show people that the way to get through these kind of times with ideologies that promote hate and separation and and and, and you know hate on the surface is you know just really really fundamental fundamentally stupid ideas but ideas that are infectious because they do they do are so simple for people to grasp and and find false hope in um he wanted to make a film that that showed how we've got the historical context to know why this is um a bad route to go down and, and show that the, the ways to get through this is to, despite all the odds, um, you know, no feeling is final. And, you know, these people that were resistance fighters in in World War Two or the um, Anne Franks and the Elsas that were having to hide in attics, which um, um, if you're someone that's complaining about sitting in your house with, with heating Wi-Fi and, uh, and all the creature comforts that modern homes have, um, put yourself in the shoes of a, of a young, let alone an old older Jewish person, a young Jewish person that's just starting life, having to hide in a in a shoebox basically, um, and know how lucky you are at this moment in time to have what you have um, in times that don't even require you to. You can still go for a walk, for God's sake. But um, really? yeah, that's. I think yeah, Tychus he does a really good job of um, bringing hope to this film, but also showing how dangerous these things are and um, and how how but. The, the people that despite all these odds the Elsas the Anne Franks and the you know Rosie and all the um the resistance fighters that really were a part of all this history that these people had such greater odds that than any of us have ever faced and got through it with hope and love and even if the hope was so so minute like I can't even can't even imagine you know the resistance resistance fighters in 1940s and early 41 before the you know the t- t- a lot of them were killed obviously, yeah well, or, yeah you know caught and killed which is bad but, but yeah you know, they, they still they still thing. they still kept going i mean just like rosie honestly yeah, yeah and yeah it's, yeah kind of like the last soldier you know the all quiet in the western front getting shot kind of thing you know she was so close spoiler alert huh spoiler alert oh it's kind of like the haven't read it <laughs> ruined <laughs> <God damn> <laughs> I'll put a spoiler. I'll put a spoiler alert at the front of the podcast for that, so it's only you that 
Um, well, I one. was spoiled for me. It's <laughs> 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 a classic. Uh, it's kind of like The Sixth Sense. I was like, uh, wait, you've, have you seen The Sixth wait, Sense? Wait, what happened in that? No. I'm <laughs> Sorry, Cher. Um, but you know, it's it's she was she was so close to the end um, as far as her work for the resistance and and fi- and she could see hope. You could see in that dinner when she's um that one of again many great scenes that she's at that dinner chewing her grapes and um, saving her dinner for Elsa later and and she's all happy and you know Jojo's like Jojo, why, why are yeah. you so happy and you know Tychus Hitler that that framing of that scene by the way when Hitler you know Jojo's you know banging on the table and about the the Reich and the power and stuff and. Tigers yeah. Hitler's just sitting there with a sassy head bobs. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when it starts getting because more serious, again, it's he just subconscious. gets... Yeah. It's like he thinks he's doing the right thing, so the subconscious is like, yeah, look at me go. Yeah, because like but... wherever Hitler is right now, he's supporting what I'm doing. Like he's like, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, she's 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 found that hope there at the, like right at the end that she's like, the Allies have taken Italy and then you know, they're coming in from this way. And, and you know, and she's like, we're we're so close, and then unfortunately, she loses um, is found out and killed before the end of the war. But yeah, there's a lot of people like that that got so close to the end, and you know, everyone everyone that suffered, and you know, it is the thing that you know is the untold war story is the people people that it's the civilians. You know, obviously the soldiers that fight in these things um, deserve um, recognition for that, but it's the people that are unwittingly put into these situations, particularly in urban warfare and situations like World War Two and even modern war now, with the countries that are dealing with it that ha- that so uh, are just forced into a situation they never want to be. They never want to be in and living in sub- you know suburban or rural Germany. You never should even expect to be in, but they they are in and they. They make do, and um, what that quote at the end of the film says, you know, no feeling is final, and you know, it's just finding beauty and all the things that, no matter how bad bad things are, that if you keep the hope and love and you know, and in your heart for the people and uh, people and just to have empathy, and you can we can get through this kind of thing, and that's what it's such a powerful film in that sense, and I think anyone that's watched it and hasn't exactly got it, I hope they go back and rewatch it and, um, and kind of look for all those little details and, um, and, you know, and just, if you're, if you're not sure about like, you know, how to empathetically, um, understand a movie, just like, just give it some time and just put yourself in the shoes of the characters. That's what I, like, I just, I try to understand, like, you know, if you don't understand what, uh, if you don't understand what the Jewish experience was in World War II, do a bit of research about it and then, and then watch the film and you'll like that character, if you don't have any idea what Jewish people went through in World War Two, then her hiding in an attic isn't going to mean anything to you. Which is like the guy said in that Holocaust um, discussion about the film. He said, you know, you need to have context for films like this because they are. It's not saying you need to be a rocket scientist because, like, you and you and me are just or a historian. Yeah, yeah. You just need to you just need to read about it a bit and have emp- and un- empathy and understanding for what these people went through. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I mean, we fear what we don't understand, right? And so yeah. people people just see Hitler as this, you know, obviously a terrible person, probably one of the worst, if not the worst person in, you know, the history of, of man. But uh, uh, that doesn't mean you can't use him as a tool to make a point about something beyond him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's exactly what Taika does. He uses the, he uses the characters, I mean... The idea of Hitler to a ten-year-old boy might have been similar to what um, JoJo's was. So, yeah, yeah, and I don't remember all like the backlash against like say Inglorious Bastards, which you know has a different. I mean, it's more obviously <laughs> violent and uh, yeah. against 
biographies and everything, but uh, it's it's a different view on history. So I yeah. don't remember people being pissed about that. So I don't know. I think it's just uh, I don't, I don't think people like to be challenged, and so with this, it is a challenge because it is literally rewiring your brain to say like, oh, this is really like one of the most evil people in the history of humanity. Like we're looking at him like this. Like I remember the first time I like I saw the preview of it i i kind of felt that way i was like am i gonna like this like this feels this feels weird to like so yeah. i get where people are coming from but it's it's also like like you said you just have to understand that the director is not like in no way making light of anything mm-hmm. he's using it as a tool it's often um i've you know there's different comedian like the i'm not that i'm a comedian at all but i've read a lot of stuff the things you know the great comedians of our times you know um tragically robin williams obviously had his mental health issues i know rowan atkinson who's a guy a lot like blackadder if you want to watch another satirical uh wartime thing watch blackadder goes forth which i think is the third season of the blackadder series which is him in world war one which um ends it was one of the most beautiful endings of any tv series i've ever seen but that's the entire that that is just world war one satire like all over and like <laughs> There's like, yeah, and like Charlie have you, Chaplin have you, have you seen, satired I, Hitler. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen Black Adam like Goes Forth? I have not. It's like there's one scene where they like they've got like a pat, like a one foot by one foot patch of dirt on a table in the general's like office, and they go in there and like this is the land we captured today, and he's like, oh, what scale is it? Oh, one to one. Yeah, and it's just like the so entire, it's like a little um, Doctor Strange lovey. Yeah, and it, but it like it tragically ends with them all going over the top at the end, like, and you don't know if they die, but it just ends with like. Well, it probably reality, died. Re- yeah, they went over the top. Exactly. So, and that's the same thing with like Doctor Strange love. It's like we've been doing this stuff for like almost a century now. Yeah, and um, the Great Dictator, like Chaplin's dressed up as as Hitler, basically, and he plays like with a floating Earth. Yeah, like he's literally do. I don't know. Yeah, so it's just we've done this for years. It's it's nothing different. It's it's still subversive though, and I, I don't know. Yeah, well, um, what my point was that like a lot of comedians say, a lot of comedy comes from great pain. Like, not that you need to go through war, but it's at least you need to actually. A lot of the comedians, like the guys that wrote Black Hat, it goes forth, had to actually have a very nuanced understanding of how tragic World War One was to write a comedic TV series. I think it's eight eight or ten episodes. Um, or at least be 1917. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, that's another one. I love. That's, a, yeah, again, a great movie. Uh, obviously not satire, but a great movie about the experiences of war um, in a, you know. And that's thing. something, and going back to it is like Jojo hasn't seen that side of yeah, war. He's exactly. in, you know, like the goose stepping down the street. So, of course, he thinks it's cool. But And that's why, like, the guys without arms and legs, he doesn't know that that happened in war. Yeah. He just probably thinks those guys are like, hanging out yeah, <laughs> at the pool just, or he doesn't even notice them when you're a little kid like you don't really pay attention to adults that much unless they're like spec speaking directly to you yeah and i think so. that's why it's very deliberately placed like that like they're on the edge of frame and you know slightly blurred. i didn't even like, notice it until the second time i was watching it yeah so i think i was, like, I was the same possibly. And, yeah so yeah again um, just very like, expertly written and directed um which one more note note about the writing I had that I had written down to bring up is that Taika very much deliberately made it. Um, he wrote the film with a very contemporary, you know, now style of dialogue. 
you know, we watched the film and, you know, even the bit where he, like, he's just like Hitler's looking at, at him desperately at the end, like, hail me, man. Like, you know, yeah. he's not, Hitler <laughs> never said hail me, man, to anyone, but it's just, it, the dialogue is very now, very contemporary. And uh, and he said he did that to try and make sh- make people realize this is the kind of stuff we deal with now, too. Again, like the satire that he was bringing in was so much like he was writing a film based on a, you know, based on the idea from a book that he'd read or his mother had originally um, yeah. In, in, uh, directed to him but like the film was very much as it developed was uh, a film both about how stupid the Nazi Germany ideology and all that stuff was but it was very much about the now as well and how easy that rhetoric and dialogue can be inf- infiltrated into our lives now as it as it is and you know it's not that we're getting any anywhere near deeply political on, on talking about Jojo Rabbit but it is inherently political the film is um, because he definitely has his own point of view that he was infusing into the film about how how love is what we need to do to beat the hate that we're all unfortunately having to deal with at the moment in different parts of our lives. Some of us are lucky enough to not be directly impacted by it by virtue of birth, but some people are forced into these things because, you know, certain presidents around the world, um, unfortunately, uh, part of their political ideology is to is to separate and to hate and to and to sow discord into the masses by you know by hot button hot button words it's not even it's not even ideologies it's just words and rhetoric that they they spew to to try and to try and set because the, the way politicians like this work whether it be hitler or modern day ones they work by finding the base that they know will support that that will be enough to get gain them the power and then they they sow the discord into that base that is enough to um separate them from the rest and and the only way we can do that as the ones that are outside of that is to um, to come together with uh, love and hope for the future and 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 fight for what is right, uh, which is respect for all people, you know, whether they race, color, creed, whatever it is. Um, um, yeah, that's that's what I've taken out of the film time and time again. Watching it, I was four times I've watched it now, and since you know, it only only came out late last year for me, so very powerful. Yeah. I've found as far yeah. every watch. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a reason why a lot of art um, that's reflected kind of like what Jojo Rabbit is um, is going on right now, um, and it is part of the art that um, you know everybody said like in 2016. Oh well, at least you know there's going to be some great music and films and TV shows um, yeah. out of this area. And obviously, I wouldn't trade that for what's going on, but uh, yeah, this is. Um, one side of it. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's what's interesting is like Jojo, the first draft was finished in 2011, which was before the end of even Obama's first term. And, uh, you know, Jordan P- uh, Get Out's often been said to be, you know, everyone thought it was a reaction to Trump, but he said, no, I had, the, I had that written and was in development pretty much before Trump got elected. It's just, it's just happenstance that it, it, it's even more powerful. It's, it's going to be powerful anyway because it's just a movie about race, but it's even more powerful now with. Um, you know what is going on so you know jojo rabbit would have been a film that it was already written um you know years before what we're going through now but it's just yeah. its power it, is that much more resonant because we realize we are unfortunately in a time in history where we're realizing how easy it can be to die um for certain factions of the world to lean back into that um more hateful ideology it is so easy to use that to gain support from from certain factions of society that still haven't grown out of, you know, we had to grow. It, it takes so long for societies to grow out of certain ideas. Um, you know, it's going to take a long time if we get the time to grow out of 
grow out of hate for a different, you know, we're only, you know, slavery and different laws like that only really got, you know, Australia still had the, the white Australia policy until the 60s. Like, it takes time and generations to actually filter that out of the subconscious of people and we're just going through that now with hateful ideologies, unfortunately. And I, I f- films like this help me, even though some days I have bad days where I'm just like, this is this whole world's stupid. But uh, films like this make me realise there is still a lot of good people out there that are fighting for despite the odds to to do the right thing and um, that's what we've got to take out of films like this is that where there's enough of us around as, and as long as we keep speaking our minds and making our opinions known about how how the world probably should be then um, then there is there is always hope in that sense yeah there's always more of us than them so yeah and that's kind of the point of this movie so yeah and it ends with dancing on the street with um with uh Hitler dead um, kicked out of Hitler dead with the with the realistic um, impression of what happened, and then him also kicked out of a window with a ten-year-old kid saying "fuck you, Hitler," which is, um, yeah. you know, and I I love this. This is just a light, more lighter-hearted note from the film. I love I love movies that have plenty of cussing. I'm obviously a big fan of the uh, the vernacular of, of swear words, uh, but it's also powerful when a film doesn't lean into swearing too much. To the point, I can't even think of another time the f bomb is used in that movie. So it makes that moment, that little moment, that much more powerful because. You haven't you haven't dropped an F bomb the entire movie and then a ten year old kid just says fuck you Hitler and fly kicks the guy out the window. Um Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely some goddamn it's um yeah. that I remember. Because I know Scar Scarga Joe says goddamn at least yeah. once. Well to but, yeah, uh, to me that is well down the rung from an F bomb, I guess. But again it's young it's through JoJo's lens. So yeah. he probably doesn't know the curse words yet. Yeah. So. He just knows the F bomb is um powerful and uses it right of that perfect moment which is again just one of those little little great writing moments from a film that's full of a lot of them definitely yeah Yeah. do you have any more thoughts about the film or are you pretty much wrapped it up just uh just scarlet should have got the uh (laughs) supporting actress award yeah yeah the more i've watched it over like i watched it twice in the last couple of days uh in addition to my first couple of watches and um yeah i i definitely agree that it's it's Sometimes you'll watch a movie and um, a performance will strike you in the moment and you'll be like, oh, man, that's great. And then you'll watch it a few more times and go, okay, maybe I was overreacting a little bit. But every time I watch it, I know there's more and more of those little just how sharp every movement was, every expression was, every line delivery was, which, again, she was doing line deliveries with an accent that was completely foreign to her her own. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that every time I watch it, I – I respect the performance more than I did before, which is usually a good a good notion that maybe she deserved. But you know, I haven't I haven't seen Marriage Story, so I can't say about Laura Dern's performance. But I do trust your I do trust your opinion on film and and well, you you haven't certainly you haven't slammed her performance. Just said it's you know it's I I like the Oscars to reward. It's her. good. It's just she not, really makes you not like her. But but, uh, but how many douchebag lawyers are in movies? It's just like it's off. It's a it's yeah. a role that's played often. Whereas the mother of a Scarlett, the role that Scarlett Johansson played in this film won't be done again because there won't be that m- m- movies that do this exact thing. This is going to be a unique movie in the lexicon of you know movie history. So, yeah. In this context, yeah, yeah. Um, it is like I almost said earlier. It's like I've never seen an actress like portray a role like that, but I, I'm sure I have. But it's just like not in a movie that was like this. I guess. Yeah. Um, it wasn't an actress as famous as ScarJo who kind of made her made her living as kind of the uh 
I don't know. She's kind of blue in a lot of the movies, especially like the way most people were introduced to her in Lost in Translation. She's, you know, sad, just kind of wayward person. And mm-hmm. I think she plays that in a lot of movies. I, and I haven't seen the Marvel ones, but uh, I don't know how much acting range she gets to show off in that. But uh, yeah, it's emotional moments, but it's all it's all Hollywood, you know, emotional. But she said it's not lost in translation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the only podcast, folks, that the Marvel films be um, compared to <laughs> lost in translation. Um, I'm sure it's been done before, yeah. but we'll do it again. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just looking at like, um, I mean, Taika Waititi's got very much infused. And he's one of the best Marvel films I think that's been made is Thor Ragnarok, which was infused with his. Yep comedic style i don't know if you have you seen that one no i haven't seen um much of any of them yeah. other than the uh, the iron man's that kind of kicked it all off yeah ragnarok is very much um i stand one that i've seen parts of it like yeah. on tbs but uh that one is i just a, feel like there's better stuff to watch there yeah it, it is if good, i'm gonna like it is a good st- it is a good standalone one i it certainly they talk about different characters and what but the, the film itself like i i'm not like a I have watched. I haven't watched all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I watched the ones that interest me, and then even Endgame took me. Uh, I didn't race the cinemas, and I saw it on Disney Plus when I got that, and that took me two watchings to get through because I got halfway through and got sleepy, and I'm not that invested that I'll stay awake for it. So, but I do enjoy just popcorn films um, as well. You know, there's a certain time and a place for them, but Ragnarok is a good, like, it's a really good standalone one. Good soundtrack, um, one of the best uses of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song in a film. <laughs> um, and obviously, well, it's, it's, got ta- it's got Taika Waititi's, um, his director, he directed it, obviously. And he, he also voices one of the characters in it with his Kiwi accent and all that stuff. So just. Yeah. And um, obviously, at that point, the Marvel Universe had worked out that Thor is a good comedic character as well because the first few films they played him a bit too serious. But Ragnarok, yeah. they leaned into a bit more of the good stuff and the comedic styles and. Waititi was perfect for it, and he's doing the next one too, I think. So, yeah, yeah, probably won't. Like, maybe I'll catch it if it's on TV someday, but I'm not gonna go. At, like, yeah, I know. It's just I know a, it's a comedy, but like, even that, like, I'm just like not that into action. Like, yeah. really, the one overall. you should and catch. We were talking about it earlier. The one you yeah. should catch, and um, again, for everyone listening at this point, you should catch as well is um, what we do in the shadows. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the movie I haven't seen the TV series yet, but the movie that obviously inspired. And they got another season, I guess, because it's on now. Yeah, I think so. I haven't yeah. again. I haven't watched any of it yet because I don't know where to access it here um, in Australia. But um, the film is obviously stands alone because they weren't. I assume they weren't expecting to be making a movie, but um, a, a TV series. But yeah, Jermaine Clement, Reese Darby, like a lot of Flight of the Concords um, alumni, yeah. it's being Kiwi film and. And Waititi is one of the main characters as well as, you know, created. The I think one of the guys is in the TV show. Might he be, looks yeah. familiar. He seems like a Mighty Boosh guy or something like that. Yeah, Mighty Boosh is also. Maybe Fly to the TV. Concrete. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of those shows. Yeah. Um, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I haven't watched Mighty Boosh in 10 years probably, but I used to love that. Um, but yeah, what we do in the shadows is just like, just at the end here, I was just like, thought I'd help Why? Waititi doesn't need any help. Um, <laughs> You're right. Like I'll, I'll give him. I'll give Taika Waititi a plug at the end of our podcast just to help him out. A little <laughs> yeah, <bit>. he needs <laughs> it. yeah, but what? Just uh, for people that may not be, uh, what we do in the shadows is great. Like it's, I guess if you like Shaun of the Dead, you'll love. And uh, Shaun of the Dead appeals to both. Like I'm, a, I'm a massive horror fan, 
So it appeals to me in that sense. And obviously, I love like anyone that doesn't love comedy. I don't know what's wrong with you. Good comedy is going to be, I think, something that's appreciated by everyone. So Shaun of the Dead covers both of those bases. And what we do in the shadows very much does that as well. Especially um, New Zealand humor is um, unique. Um, there's another horror comedy that I, you may not have seen called Black Sheep. It's not the it's not the Black Sheep. Yeah, you told me about yeah. that one. Yeah, the Black Sheep New Zealand version is. Um, I'll just say it, zombie sheep. We'll go with, and then, yeah, right. yeah, but very black comedy-esque as well because there's just one line in it like, you know, they're running away from, they're trying to deal with like what's going on with the sheep and someone says like, oh, what are we going to do about that? And then the other guy goes, says, no, fuck the sheep. Like as in, don't, we don't care yeah. about that. And then the other guy goes, no, there's no time for that. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Self-deprecating Cuba will always, always, always ring a bell with me. So yeah, key, like New Zealand um humor which taika waititi is obviously everyone he's become so big now with obviously jojo and the oscars and and then thor ragnarok but you know what we do in the shadows is set in well it's set in wellington i think as well so it's a new zealand based film with new zealand actors and very new zealander humor but um it's certainly one that's been respected worldwide now as a horror comedy and then one that people are discovering more as he gets more famous i think but yeah everyone should yeah get onto that one um including you <laughs> yeah it's it's so fucking funny um Werewolves, not swearwolves. It's um, <laughs> just great. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the last ten minutes. Is no JoJo, but just um, more just um, yeah. Taika Waititi appreciation because he's um, he's a real funny guy. If you if you got the JoJo Rabbit disc or uh, iTunes purchase, just watch the half hour extras because it's just pretty much a Waititi half hour comedy bit as well because he's just he's just nat- he's one of those naturally funny guys, and that's why I think he's he's. Incredibly naturally funny in the sense that, um, again, I mentioned Robin Williams, like great comedians are both incredibly smart and nuanced as far as how the world works, but just they live their life in a comedic realm where they try to see the humor and everything, even though they understand why things are serious. Um, and, you know, you can see that in, in the filmmaking he does as well. So It takes I, the power away from, you know, the bad thing. that it That's what satire does. Yeah. It takes the power away from um, any negativity. Um, that's why they're satiring it. They want to, you know, take the menace out of it yeah, let's and not, not to forgive them, but to like punish them for how evil they are basically. Yeah. Both punish them for how evil they are and show it for the, how the inherently stupid thing it is as far as humanity as a human, as you know, humanity goes, it's yeah, incredibly stupid. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to see a future where the, where humanity exists, then this is a stupid way to be. And that's kind of, yeah, satire really shows that and, Jojo Rabbit does a really good job of showing how stupid and you know World War Two was incredibly catastrophic to the world. Um, we're still dealing with all the impacts of like that ideology that's still around now that people are grappling onto. Um, yeah, um, it was unfortunate to see. Um, uh, you know, it was something weirdly timely, but to see that um, woman um, in fuck knows where it was. It was in Wisconsin or Michigan with the work sets you free, um, the abic marked free sign from that was the famous sign i missed that yeah no it was a a woman that'll depress me tomorrow (laughs) oh sorry to inform you of that one but you know i i thought it was um scarily timely that i saw that yesterday that some woman was holding the sign uh the writing that was on every that not what it said on the outside of auschwitz it is exactly what it said on the outside of auschwitz she had it written in german on her sign with wearing a mask so hey she's not She's got one brain cell or half a brain cell, but um, but still protesting. All obviously, all this stupid uh, the COVID nineteen stuff isn't stupid. It's unfortunate. There's stupid protests about COVID nineteen, 
she was protesting that with a sign that said work sets you free and she says no i'm not a nazi i have jewish friends which is like pretty much paraphrasing any any well you don't anymore bitch Um, I'll tell you that, Jesus. God, I, I haven't been to Auschwitz, but I went to Dachau when m- me and Andrea were over in um, Germany last two, well, a year and a half ago now. And obviously, I'd done a fair bit, like I did history in college, and so I've read about all this stuff a fair bit. But being there is something else, and just and, and Dachau wasn't Dachau was one of the work camps until it wasn't. Whereas Auschwitz, yeah. very, Auschwitz is very much the one where the, everyone is famous for the evilness of being one of the final solution centers, but. Yeah, I I remember seeing that sign on the front of that gate, and just that that is a microcosm of how Nazi ideology worked. Everyone on the outside, because this camp is just in Dachau, is just in the middle of this, like kind of on the outskirts of this of Dachau, the town, um, yeah. and, and it's just very much just trees and houses near it. Like I, I remember me and Andrea, it took, it took me a, we'd just flown into Munich, and I drove straight there because it was like on our way to Nuremberg. Um, so mm. uh, and a day without sleep and I'm trying to find it. And it's just kind of like, it is a big complex, obviously. So it's hard not to miss, but then finding the street to get to it was hard because it is just in the middle of this suburban slash rural area, kind of on the outskirts of Munich there. And, and there's just a gate that says, you know, it works, sets you free in German. And you can see that just as a microcosm of how easy it was for that ideology to get into people. Cause people on the outside saw that gate and said, Oh, it's just a working camp. They're putting these people to work. And so, yeah, this woman with this sign was like, "Oh no, it's the, it doesn't mean that." It's like the literal only reason you know of that sign is because why'd you write it in German? Yeah, you, just say "work you sets you, just wait, just say "I want to work" or uh, "freedom is work" or something like. No, you wrote the German sign. Oh, I think it'd be tied to that, no matter what. Yeah, but still, <laughs> I mean, like, it's very explicitly, um, yeah, about you know paraphrasing a Nazi German ideology. So it's unfortunate that this is still going on, but this is why I thought it was. A really important movie to talk about because it does it does wrap right into what we're going through as a world right now. Um, and, and it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's both a great film just to watch and hopefully we can watch it in future years and think, oh, man, it's so much better now than it was. Um, I do hope that's the legacy of the film. I hope it's a legacy of a, fil- a film that was made about a time that was in the past and then referencing a time that was now and then in the future we can look back on it and say this is a you know just how we had to deal with things um in and you know with entertainment and laughs and 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 love and stuff but you know also yeah recognizing what's going on in the world yeah hopefully it gets a little bit bigger audience um than it has already but i think obviously with the success at the oscars that uh people will see it but it does feel like it'll be a cult film yeah for a long time yeah for sure um especially with Waititi's career going the way it is um he's certainly got plenty in the tank I think so look forward to all of that but um yeah this is certainly going to be one of the highlights I think no matter what because it is such a personal one I think to him as far as just um with his history and then just um and finding a way well, one of my goddamn Oscar yeah well and, yeah, and he had a great Oscar speech as well very one very much yeah steeped in those kind of messages he was trying to put across on through the film as well um as well as being you know a minority winning an oscar like that so yeah it's um yeah it's great like hopefully it's um a sign forward for many of us and a sign that those that maybe see (laughs) maybe like the ideologies that is being satirized are um on the down so that's all we can hope for is like 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 the end of the film said is like no no feeling is ever final we can always find hope um be despite the odds so yeah, Absolutely. definitely one I'll raise my pint slash can, pound can of Guinness. <laughs> and say, so, until next time, Shay, we'll uh, 
roll some film, pour some pints, pop some corn. I got that completely backwards. You may have heard the rumor that David has one ball. It's a myth. He has four. Heaven. Für einen Tag. 